Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Great to have you with me on this live radio show tonight. I'm Carolyn Yeager, and this is the Heretics Hour. The date is Monday, May 18th, 2015. I am broadcasting for the last time from Blog Talk Radio Network. I've canceled my subscription to Blog Talk after using it for just about exactly one year. I'm grateful to it for being available during this time and to those who helped me figure it out in the beginning. I'm dropping it now because I prefer to produce podcasts at my own pace and not to be held to a schedule as I have been since I started doing radio on March 1st, 2010, five years and two months ago. I'm also only going to be doing, I'm not going to be doing uh, regularly scheduled programs the way that I had been. So that's another reason why I've decided I don't need to pay the money for blog talk anymore. And from now on, you'll see my podcast posted at carolynyeager.net, ready to listen to. I may send out pre-announcements, but I want to make better use of my mailing list in the future, so I'll have to put some thought into how I will do it. Um, But you can understand that paying this $40 a month for only one show a week doesn't make much sense, especially when I prefer to pre-record my shows now. And reducing my radio presence in this way is not something that I wanted to do, but I've had to do it. I physically don't have the energy for it. If I were to get the energy for it, I would do more because that's the way I am. I always do as much as I possibly can. I have lots of ideas and I have the desire, so that makes it a little frustrating for me. But I may do more podcasts in certain periods and less in others. I will try to maintain, however, about a one-week average at least, at the least. I also have three websites to keep up, and I also want to work on my family genealogy and expand what I have on uh, carolynyeager.net currently. There's a lot more that I can post there, so there's a whole lot of work I would like to get done, but only uh, I don't know how much I will I will be able to get done, so that's just the way it goes. When I did the program I called Taking Stock on April 27th, less than a month ago, I thought I would be talking about some of these things then. But I actually got so caught up in my other topics that I forgot to do it. And after it was over, I thought that the title was wrong since I didn't do much Taking Stock, but then I decided I would just leave it the way it was and pick it up again later. I knew I had this last time slot at Blog Talk coming up at that time. I knew I had the two programs on uh, the two new Holocaust revisionism books I was going to do, and then I'd have one more blog talk show. And I thought, well, that's perfect for me to devote that to saying uh, what my future plans are or some of these, announce some of these changes. And so uh, when I I was trying to think of something to add to taking stock, too, I uh, finally came up with cleaning house. And as soon as I did, I knew that was what I wanted to say. It sounds kind of boring, but uh, that's exactly what I need to be doing, both figuratively and literally. It's not something I look forward to. In fact, I've kept putting it off, but as I tell myself often, it has to be done. And if you wait much longer, Carolyn, it won't be done. And I like to get things done, so I'm going to take my best uh, stab at it. So this program tonight is the result of the personal taking stock I'm doing and 
also on how I see our movement, taking stock on our movement that has no name or no name that I feel comfortable using. Why it has no name could be the very reason it doesn't take us where we want to go. There's a hodgepodge of aims and special interests that are all thrown in together that has gotten dubbed a long time ago as the truth movement and for others the white nationalist movement. Or maybe today it would be better to call it the white rights movement as we're seeing now that our rights are being taken away even, are being threatened. In any case, the question I want to ask in the beginning here is, is it too late? I, you know, I do tend to be uh, kind of a negativist, I guess. I don't believe, I can't, I just, it's not in my nature to just keep saying positive things no matter what. And I think we need to look at things realistically. And when we, when we look to see what our status is today, and when I say are, what I'm meaning is people of the white European race, I like to call it European race, race that are being uh, encroached upon today in all of our homelands with colored people from all around the world and changing uh, the makeup of our, our nations. We seem absolutely incapable of stopping it because the people uh, that are behind it seem to be our leaders, but they are also the Jews, and that's just there's just no getting around that. Um, we're in a very weak position, even though numbers-wise we have high numbers, but we don't have any influence. Now, speaking of uh, why we are in this weak position, somehow, and that's not the purpose of tonight's program, and I don't have the answers for it anyway, and a lot has been written about it, but sovereignty and our uh, our be, being in charge to be taken away from us and we've given things over to others and a lot of this has taken place simply since 1945. It really has. A lot of it. Not all of it, but a whole lot of it has taken place since then when the whole uh, world changed, the whole way of thinking, the whole world order changed with the defeat of the German Hitler regime and the, what was was called the Third Reich in Germany. That's that's the pivotal point there. And we have given up and given up and given up uh, in all that time. And there was so many emotional issues brought forth. We I can't blame anybody because uh, I, I'm uh, I, I'm gonna as I say I've I've been in this for about ten years now. So you know all that time before that I, I didn't know what was going on and. Most no, mostly nobody did. The few people that did, well, good for them, and that were trying to do something before that time, good for them. But uh, at this, we're finally really waking up to how bad things are now. And this is, I just want to spend a little more time on this, not too much, but as to um, where where we have any power source to draw from, we don't seem to have any. You know, we we have. Uh, some people, we have the Internet. People say, well, thank God for the Internet. Well, I don't know how far the Internet's going to carry us. And when I look to see, or when we all look to see, how this takeover has been carried out, well, it certainly would be carried out on the Internet, too. So the, the real thing I'm going to be talking about tonight, is the only thing I can talk about, really, is whether what we think are our sites and our people and our leaders and representatives on the Internet 
Are they? Or has all that been co-opted too and taken over? And I think the answer has to be, it has to be, yes, of course, uh, much that's on the Internet has been taken over and is being controlled by those same forces, which I'm calling basically um, the, uh, in order not to just call it the Jews, it's it's the world order that was set up after World War II, and that was the opposite of what the Nazis stood for. It was the communists. It's basically the the victory of the communists, of communism, which is uh, combined with the democratic forces and it's supposed to be democracy, democracy won, and but this has turned out to be the, the new leaders, which I don't care of people who don't like to call it left and right. I call it the left. It is the left in my mind, and they have their own uh, wishes for how things are going to be, and they the, they are doing the will of the Jews. It pretty much uh, it's uh, Jewish control behind it all. At least the Jews have gotten into the very, very powerful position everywhere in, in all the most essential uh, areas. So at this point, what what would... <laughs> I'm, uh, where would we find uh, spokesmen for ourselves? Are we being are we being weakened even further than we would need to be because we are following people on the internet who uh, are really working for the other side, for our enemies, working for our defeat, and are only appearing to be our own leaders or speaking in our own interest. This is a very very difficult topic, I know, but I'm good at selecting difficult topics because I start asking myself a few questions and it leads right away to this bottom line here. And so I would say that is this, is this uh, it gets very confusing. It gets very confusing and is this confusion in the so-called truth movement, white nationalist movement, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's not all the same movement, truthfully, it's different, but it's all so much of it is combined. So uh, is this confusion that is existing for, that I've just described here, tried to, is this being orchestrated intentionally or is this something that can't be helped uh, that is in the nature of uh, what we're talking about? I would say we'd have to think that we could be more clear. We could be doing a better job if if it wasn't the case that those who are working against our interests are in a powerful position and are presenting uh, Internet sites and leaders for us who are not working for our true interests. So I think I've made that as clear as I can. And I'm going to mention that I previously, I want to talk about not just disinformation now, but actually we're being uh, led by, say, COINTELPRO, or we're being we're being led by agents of the uh, Jews and and the Feds uh, in various degrees and combinations. So I just want to say that I'm not new to this subject, and I've looked into these things before and seen that this was a problem. And in uh, January, on January 31st, 2011. I did a program, a Heretics Hour program, called Disinformation on the Internet. It was part one of a two-part program, and it was 
very popular. People liked it a lot. Wanted me to do more about it. I did. Uh, I did this two. These two at that time, and I just want to uh, read what I wrote in my program on the program page as to what the program was about. This was. Uh, remember, I was only had only been doing radio for about eight months or eight or nine nine months at the time, and when when I did this in the very beginning of 2011. And I wrote, uh, who are the culprits and why do they do it? That is the disinformation culprits. It all seems so simple now. So, so I mean, so uh, basic, basically, simple in a basic way compared to what the complicated stuff that's going on today. But uh, I said, I wrote about the purpose of disinformation, which was to mislead, deceive, or confuse, uh, that people are put in place to lead all conspiracy movements, course, it would be that people are put in place to lead all truth movements or all all movements of any kind if they're anti the uh, the world order that we have. The third point was uh, alter- alternative truth and political movements are targeted. Naturally, we had to fit, we have to understand that they are. That means we are targeted all the time, and uh, something that was a particular topic then, and then I wrote, uh, this is important, a giveaway sign is consistent false information with no retraction, and then I gave some examples of of two habitual offenders and false information. Well, the, the um, that people are put in place to lead all conspiracy movements, we have to keep that in mind and know that it is going on, and we have to accept it, even if we don't want to, because Whenever we have a movement, we have people in it, we we want to think the best of them. We tend to believe them. We tend to think they're on our side. They're our people. That's how they present themselves. And it doesn't seem nice, does it, to uh, start suspecting them and and uh, accusing them and or uh, dis, um, disbelieving them or whatever, which is what I'm doing, what I'm doing tonight. And it seems like I'm grateful, uh, and I know that. But another important point here was that consistent false information with no retraction is a sign of a person who is a disinformation artist. And um, we find this is something that we probably don't look at enough because people give out a lot of falsehoods. Uh, there Sometimes people mention it. They don't say anything. They don't reply. They don't retract what they said. Uh, that has You have to be suspicious of people who do that. Now uh, the part two was the more was the better part of it, <laughs> and it was uh, on February seventh, two thousand eleven. Some of my points here. Well, what I found was six uh, people that I thought were putting out disinformation on the internet, and I and I found, or they all turned out to be uh, conspiracy specialists and giving out confusing information about the Nazis. All of them: Alex Jones, Jim Mars. They go from, I started with the most obvious and went down the ones that would be less likely that people would consider them to be disinformation. The second one was Jim Mars, who likes to talk about the Fourth Reich in America and so on. He gets on with Jeff Rents a lot, and they talk about that. Webster Tarpley, uh, he's uh, ties together Britain, the United States, and the Nazis. <laughs> I went through some of the things that he had been doing. And he had been writing in his books. Uh, 
he he poses as a new uh, 9-11 expert, one of the earliest people that came out against 9-11. And I pointed out in that show that uh, the earliest people who came out against 9-11 were all the shills or the the uh, the fakes who uh, were trying to lead it in the direction that they wanted it to go. And that might come up later on tonight. Uh, but this was uh, true of Webster Tarfley. He was considered one of the earliest to why tell us about 9-11 was a false flag. And then David Icke, he tells us a lot of silly things about Hitler. And Henry Macau, who's famous for his Hitler was a Rothschild, a British agent, or a Zionist, etc., etc. And the final one I did was Wayne Madsen, who is pretty clever, but uh, I figured him out, and I called him the Drew Pearson of the 21st century. Well, this show was, uh, again, this one was really popular, and people are very interested in this. They sense that these people are all fakes. Of course, a lot of them are obviously. There's this list. These, this list here was pretty much the real obvious ones. I'm going to go into some less obvious ones tonight. And just to show you how this stuff works, two years later, Andrew Anglin picked up this same topic on total fascism and put it also on his new Daily Stormer, it was on January 21st, 2013, and he had just started the storm where I think maybe he was still writing on total fascism, and he wrote this for there and then put it also a little bit later. He moved it over to the stormer, so it's in the archives there, and it's called A List of Shills. He had a list of uh, how many? Um, Fifteen people he called shills, and it's pretty much the same thing I was talking about, and all six of mine were on his list, and another one that I didn't have was Jeff Rents that he has on there, and and a lot of other names that I won't go into, but all these names were on there, so I figured he knew about my program and thought that was he'd do one he'd do one of these things of his own because Andrew is uh, tends to see things and copy them and cover that himself. He's not the most original person you ever ran into, and that's true about a number of these people I'm going to talk about. Okay, so in his, I thought this was very pertinent, so in in Andrew's introduction to this article about the shills in January 2013, it would be two years after mine, uh, what is known, he wrote, what is known as the truth movement is in many ways a more ridiculous compilation of lies than the mainstream media itself. Think about that. So he's saying that in the truth movement, there's more lies and more ridiculous lies than in mainstream media. In order to formulate a new movement, it is necessary that we crush the lie that is this old movement entirely. So he is recommending that we crush the old movement in order that the new movement can be birthed, you know, that we can formulate a new movement. We can't do it on while this old one is still in place. And see, I... I agree with that. Um, in in many ways, I do. Depending on, I guess, what you're talking about, what is the old one, is the new. But the first, he says, the first step in this process is to name the shills who are pushing these fanatical and deranged lies on the people. It is clearly impossible to list all of these people, given the fact that their numbers seem to be endless, with new shills popping up almost daily to spew profane, nonsensical dribble. He should say dribble, but he says dribble. On the masses of well-meaning truth-seeking, truth-seekers, seeking truth 
So this is an abridged list. Well, I just want to make the comment that this old movement is something that Andrew Anglin is increasingly joining up with these days. And we'll we'll see that in a few moments. Um, he goes on to say, I will note that I see many individuals who are perhaps not themselves shills, catering to the shills in hopes of getting support from the shills. Yep, that's right. I will not, for instance, support the likes of Jeff Rents in the hope that he may someday link to my articles. I don't have any desire to be associated with someone pushing aliens and chemtrails. Well, that's not the worst of what he does. But anyway, he goes on, regardless of how many hits it could get me. The only people I want to be associated with are those telling it how it is. We in the real truth movement are rising, and we do not need to prop ourselves up by leaning on the old guard of this movement. We will instead climb to the top of the on the corpses of their failed sellout radio programs, videos, and websites. So when he talks about the old guard of the movement, he's yes, he's talking about these 15 people, most of whom uh, don't have much influence in the movement, uh, but these are the ones he thinks you know are easy to to tear down. So uh, and then he's going to build up on top of that. And of Jeff Rents, he specifically says, because he writes about each one of these people specifically, but I'm just going to read you what he says about Jeff Rents. He says, insane-looking Jeff Rents, perhaps the most popular of truthers, other than the fat man himself, is one of the only ones on this list who does sort of name the Jew. However, this is actually worse than if he didn't given that he mixes this up with all types of delusional insanity, including aliens and UFOs, secret mystery gibberish, all types of different Alex Jones conspiracies, chemtrails, effectively making the Jewish destruction of our society yet another silly piece of entertainment for bored, lonely failures. Well, that's his style of writing, which sounds real strong, and but it doesn't say much. It doesn't uh, say what going to be done or what can be done, but he does have a conclusion here in his conclusion to this article. He says, it is my contention that all of these men should be subject to criminal prosecution and depending on the rulings of a fair and just court, either executed for treason or interned in a concentration camp. (laughs) Well, now, I see that as just his grandstanding, and he used to like to talk this way quite a bit. He doesn't as much... Now, uh, but, you know, anything he didn't like, he was going to prosecute people, fat people. Fat people were going to be put in concentration camps. And and who was going to do all this authority, you know, who was the authority behind all this? Well, he never said, but it it always was clearly going to be him and the people that he was, that he stood with and the people that maybe he led or he was a part of, of um, getting into power. That was going to be so easy that we were all going to come to power. Just, you know, it was it was happening every day. We were getting closer. So he says, it goes on to write, though it is possible that as we who are the real truth movement rise, some of the shields may cross the line and join us. However, if they continue to push this destruction upon us, suffering as many as possible into their insane schemes, they will be given no quarter when we reclaim our nation. And he finishes up with this 
which has become a rather familiar refrain. Strengthen yourselves, brothers, for the day of our victory approaches ever more quickly. He was writing this stuff on uh, total fascism in January 2013. And what does it sound like? It sounds to me like a script that is being followed. That is, the day of our victory approaches. That's what he's been saying all along. What evidence does he have of it? He has no evidence of it, but he is telling, he's trying to, or we think he's trying to, we thought he was trying to, encourage his readers to become positive and to strengthen themselves and get ready for a victory coming ever more quickly. Get ready, get ready, pay attention. Now, that's, that's his main theme. Then and now, get ready to fight. Get ready to fight. Uh, holding out hope. So keep coming back here for more of this for me. And uh, then they get it fully illustrated with big pictures that they like. And lots of comic strip characters that are fun to look at. And good-looking girls. And I have to say that, well, now he's turned against women, so now he's just showing good-looking muscular men. <laughs> Just like countercurrents does, only better. His are even better looking. So, uh, well, it's a confusing mess over there. But I just want to mention about this. Why I'm bringing up some of this is that Jeff Rents, Anglin puts him on his list of shills. But this was two years ago, you know. But he's forgotten that now, obviously. Uh, He even took his whole shills category off the Stormer format. And today he... uh, he praises two people who are closely associated with Jeff Rent, and that is David Duke and Don Black of Stormfront. And he's thrilled to be invited onto Black's Stormfront radio program, which is sponsored by Jeff Rent's network. And uh, it, they have all of Je- those schlock advertisements for ripoff products that make money for Jeff Rent. And maybe the host, too, I've often wondered, whether the hosts get a percentage, if you're an if you're an important enough host, you know whether David Duke gets a percentage of the advertising that's on his radio show. There's quite a bit of it. They have an hour show. Black uh, Stormfront has two hours. They're sort of separated with different people on them. You know, during that hour, there's about three long advertising breaks, and it's awful adver- it's awful products that are being advertised. He he doesn't have any uh, sense of responsibility community responsibility or anything for his listeners that they not get ripped off by a bunch of garbage that he is selling. He doesn't care what it is because as long as they pay. And at the same time, who are some of Rents' favorite guests even now? Jeff Rents' favorite guest, Jim Mars. Harry Cooper of Shark Hunters, who I've exposed to, but I can't go into him today, but he's he's got books out and, he's, and Jeff Rents talked to him about this idea that uh, Hitler escaped the bunker and went to Argentina, and he's got he takes trips there, people to see uh, see the where he was there, taking advantage of these simple-minded people. They shouldn't be so simple-minded, but they are who uh, want to do these things, who want to believe these things, and want to go to Argentina with him and look for the places where Hitler lived and talk to people or whatever. Uh, and then uh, Jeff Brents also has Gerald Salenti for uh, as a guest often and he even has special uh, places on his website for these people and their writings with their pictures there and everything and even John Friend has gone over to Rents 
John Friend. That's something I'll be saying more about that later. So this this Rents is who Anglin two years ago said was just one of the worst shills and he didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, he doesn't ever mention that today. He doesn't let that stop him from being happy to be able to go on Don Black's radio program. And I'm sure he'd be thrilled if David Duke asked him to come and be a guest on his program with all those commercials on uh, Jeff Rentz's network. See how things change and you don't want to talk about this anymore because it doesn't work for you anymore. So where are Anglin's principles that he made so much noise about in that article about the shills? Oh, I can tell you uh, this, that Anglin has no principles. I should have spoken up about this when it first came to me, that Andrew has no core principles. That came into my mind real clearly at one point, and uh, I like the idea, I like the word core, but I held back, I didn't say anything, because I didn't want to be uh, someone who was throwing stones at a person I had been friends with. It is not easy to criticize Andrew Anglin, uh, because I, I had been friends with him, and I thought that maybe he would really do something, but I became more and more disenchanted with him. But this thing that we have, this problem that we have with not criticizing anyone in our movement, it's called loyalty, and we see loyalty as a very good attribute, which it is, but it does become harmful when it becomes covering up for people. And sometimes uh, you sincerely want to help a friend, but at other times you're doing it to protect benefits that you're receiving or someone else is receiving. So your 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 loyalty is about is about that. You're you're holding back on saying what you really think. Uh, you're holding back on any criticism because you're getting some benefits from either from this person or from other people surrounding this person, whatever. Anyway, this is when the line gets blurred and when the whole idea about principles gets very blurred. And nobody's perfect with this, I'm quite sure. It depends on how difficult it is for you. But, you know, in this movement, it's all about personalities. Whatever whatever way you want to see this movement, amongst the people I'm going to be talking about, it's we, we deal in personalities, not principles. We think we have principles, but we're really following people. We're following personalities that we see as leaders, as people who have, in so many cases, we see them as people who have proven themselves. They've been around for a while. They've been involved in things. They've held on to their uh, pro-white positions. That's the only principle it is, is that pro-white, as long as you're still pro-white, people, uh, we will forgive when I say we, I just mean that in a general because I don't necessarily, but I might too, uh, forgive all sorts of uh, little crimes and petty bad behavior and so on because on the whole we say this person represents us and we don't want to damage them. That only damages our whole movement. So this is where personalities get the benefit you know, of this. Uh, they don't have to follow all the principles because... They've become identified with the movement, and therefore people in the movement don't want to damage their reputation. One example of not following principles is when we accept homosexuality in one instance, but not in another instance. You see, sometimes homosexuality is terrible, and 
and uh, queers do all this and that kind of damage to our society and to us and so on. But in other instances, uh, well, this homosexual is, uh, he's a friend of ours and he does good. He does a lot of good things and for various reasons we like him. And it's the same way even with Jews. Jews in general are the enemy of white people, which is it can be shown and proven in every which way that they are. But then there's always the uh, the exceptions, and the good Jews who aren't, and they must be uh, protected, and and we can be friends with them. So uh, there's a lot of debate about that too. But all these things show that we're dealing in personalities, and we're not following principles. Now I think it's I didn't uh, I'm not just going to be talking about Andrew Anglin tonight, so I um, I want to move on away from this for now and look at the bigger picture. I already mentioned some of this, but I'll go over it again. That uh, if we look at the bigger picture, we have to admit or we can't really get away from the fact that the Jews and the Feds are going to try to infiltrate or control and even create their own white rights movement. Uh, or truth movement of any kind, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, whatever part you're in, uh, if it goes against what they what they want to in their world order, they're going to try to take it over and run it the way they want to run it. They've done it before, and we know uh, when they've done it and where they've done it, uh, how they've done it in our in the uh, history of uh, of alternative or pro- protest movements. Well, let's say certainly all through the uh, 20th century, and, and now just getting bigger now nowadays in this new century. So uh, we we know they do this, and yet we still deny that anything that we have going today could be run by the Jews or the Feds or some combination of that. Now, for one thing, I could give you uh, so many examples, but here are two. The Jews have taken control of the Universal Catholic Church, the worldwide Universal Catholic Church, the Vatican and Vatican City, no less. Now, how powerful is that if they can do that? You might say they're not totally in control, but they're certainly in there, and they're influencing more than anybody else. Uh, no, There's no influence in the Catholic Church today that's stronger than the influence of organized Jewry and what they want. And can even say it's, uh, you can look to uh, the ADL as an example of that particular powerful influence going on. That is irresistible. That's that's quite an achievement. The Jews here just in the U.S., the Jews have taken control over the Republican Party. In every state of the United States and in the U.S. Congress, of course, in the U.S. Congress, the Republican Party is uh, virtually... Uh, controlled by the Jewish element, by what the Jews want. Now, how powerful is that? Well, they can take over a whole a party that old and that established in the U.S. government. The Jews are actually in control of the U.S. government. <laughs> the Jews are in control of every aspect of the United States, any any industry or area you want to look at. So why would they not be able to take control of your web of a website that you think belongs to? you and uh, people like yourself. Why wouldn't they be able to do that? Of course, they can do it. And you might say, well, they've got bigger things to do than that. No, no, they that's important to them. They would do that. 
So they will take control of alternative Internet sites. Maybe they create them. Uh, they don't have to take over after they've been created. They just set them up from the beginning. Or they also would be monitoring some sites with the acquiescence of the owner, possibly, so that the owner is allowed to continue to run his site and collect donations and so on. I'm just being very, uh, I'm being very suspicious here, but still, you have to be, and you have to ask yourself these questions. And you can also ask, I understand, people can be asking about me, why shouldn't we think the same thing about you, Carolyn? Why would you be excluded from this? Why Maybe you're being controlled by the Jews. Well, I have no answer to that except that I know myself and I know what I do and what, I, what I've experienced and so on. And so I feel confident to speak about this because I know I, I'm not uh, among this. And I don't, I've never been contacted by anyone. So if I've never been contacted by anyone, maybe others have not been either. And I'm just thinking that some of them must be. Well, I don't think that everybody has. I don't, I only think that certain ones show signs. They show signs of it. That's what I'll say. And also people who live in glass houses don't throw stones, at least not for long. So that's why you see that people who don't want to have anybody look too carefully at them or criticize them, uh, they or try to un- uncover anything about what they're doing, they don't do that to others either. And a lot of people will put that out like, well, I'm just such a good person, I'm kind, and, and also uh, I don't believe in attacking people uh, who are working for our cause and so on. Uh, and there's also the thing about how terrible dividers are when you criticize and you divide us. That's the worst thing you can do. And We need to be united. We need to all stand up for one another. Well, that works real good if you don't want things to be exposed that should be exposed. But some people don't want anything to be exposed. And they think that, well, we all just work within this system. It's better not to say anything and to not criticize other big other people who are who are putting their themselves on the line, uh, who are putting themselves out there and uh it's just terrible to accuse them of things that you don't know for sure you don't have evidence. Well, I'm just suggesting that uh, that we connect some dots, you know. I'm, ex- I'm suggesting that everybody connects some dots. But you have to look into it. It's not that you have to look that much into it. It's not a Ph.D. project or anything. But people have to look into it. Some, and some people will do that. Most people won't. They just want to take it as they see it and what feels comfortable to them. But I'm suggesting that if you... Try to connect some dots. You'll see some things that show up that can bring about questions. They might not mean anything. They might be able to be answered easily. It just, uh, but I think this is the work that should be done by enough of us that that we keep on top of things and we're not being led by by a ring in the nose in our nose because we're unwilling and, and afraid to to uh, be unpopular or be disliked by anyone. We should not be afraid to. Question those we accept as leaders. Why, you know, who are those who constantly call out? I already said this. Don't be divisive and so on. We all have to hang together. Okay. Um, what they usually mean is that don't criticize my favorite guy. You know, you shouldn't do that. Uh, I don't want you to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to call you out if you do it. Well, Paul Westman said, 
Who knows what whites might accomplish even today if they had something to believe in? I wonder if we're being robbed of something real to believe in. It's hard to say. You see, I can't talk about everybody uh, because people are on different levels and different interests of things that they are that they care about. But in some cases, I think that we're being given falsehoods and fantasy rather than something real to believe in. And I already mentioned some things with Andrew Anglin that he had written that fall into that category, and in my opinion. And I already mentioned the connection between David Duke, Don Black, and Jeff Rentz, but that just uh, shows that they're not all that particular. It can just show that they're not all that particular when it comes to making things easier on themselves. If if it's easier on themselves to do their radio program through Jeff Rentz's network and uh, all that work is done for them, and uh, I, I can understand why they do it. I can understand why they do it. But it's still, is it a good idea? Uh, Duke gets on the radio with, with Rentz often. And um, and John Friend also, as I mentioned, you know, has become a favorite of Jeff Rentz and has a special section on Rentz.com for his article. And he has put a link, he has a link to Rentz.com on his blog, John does. John's blog seems to have changed a little bit. I'm not going to talk about that, but... Uh, he used to fit better with Rents because he was into a lot of false flag conspiracy theories or just conspiracy stuff, which he seems not to be writing about anymore. And I don't know if he's made some big change or not. I don't pay that much attention, but seeing, he seems to have dropped that lately whenever I've gone to look and see what he had there. Anyway, here are some dots. I was talking about connecting the dots. And so here are some dots that, I've, that I connect from John Friend. He came out of the blue and became highly popular right away just for holding up a sign at one of those uh, sit-in, Federal Reserve sit-in things in California where he lives. And he was given a whole lot of credit for that, and he starts talking about 9-11 and so on. But but what, what does he really do, and what is his purpose? I've never been able to figure that out. You know, I've never been able to figure out why he does what he does. Being he's a young man with a, a certain bit of ability and a good personality or demeanor, that he could do quite a bit, but why he's chosen to do this, I have no idea. I can't, it doesn't make sense to me. The AFP is another questionable operation for me. They are quite conservative, the AFP, uh, American Free Press, and they've started doing some radio shows which are featured on that Mammy's or Grism Blogspot site, which looks like a COINTELPRO site to me. It looks and acts like it. Can't always go by how things look. Anyway, John Friend got hired by AFP as a writer, but then he was fired by Willis Carto personally because he posted a radio show with Fritz Berg in which Berg spoke highly derogatorily about Carto. Well, John should have known better. He should have not posted that show with uh, with uh, Berg, who should have known he was going to harm uh, John by saying what he did, but nobody thinks about anything except their own interests. And so uh, John got fired by Carto for that. And John is uh, so naive and poorly informed. Uh, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, then why do people like Rents promote him if he's 
if he has so little to offer, really, but that's the question. That's one of the questions. Why Why has rent taken up so much with uh, John Friend? And I will say, though, that John Friend, as I said, was got into all the conspiracy theory stuff, and that's Rents' area that he likes so much, or pretends to like, I don't know. And that could be the answer to that. But then John Friend also got involved with Rodney Martin in a partnership without knowing a thing about him. And he didn't know about so many things about Carto and Berg and everything about the American Free Press. He just, he, he doesn't seem to look into things the way he should so that he knows what he's dealing with. But uh, so I would say that this getting involved with Roddy Martin without knowing anything about him is a is a tendency of John Friend. He's uh, he's 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 basically he came into this basically ignorant of so many things and you know almost like a five year old ready to learn things and he's like a good learner in school so he rose right up but he he copies from other people he he copies everything he uses. His, his articles have extensive quotes from other sources and people, and he just links them together with a few words that he's written himself. And so there's there's little originality in him. And his I noticed that his latest post has 17 comments, and all but two are by anonymous. So really, again, I have to ask, what is the purpose? I would say that John Friend's purpose is to keep people at his level. If he is an agent of some kind, why would they want him in there? Because he is writing about subjects that people are interested in, and they will not advance very far as long as they read John Friend. They'll uh, now here's here here's the thing. Here's why I need to stick this in here. Why would the Jews want to support or help people like John Friend or Jeff Rents or any of these people have have websites? and radio shows, and uh, why would they at least not interfere with that? Why would they want to, why would that be in their interest? Because as it's the same old simple thing that has been, this always said, that you want to control both sides of every issue. So they want to have enough of their own people who are known as the experts in the fields that are, that are antagonistic to the Jews, uh, Holocaust revisionism, World War II revisionism, Hitler revisionism, all of that, and then 9/11, and everything that appears to be anti-Jewish, uh, they they will promote a lot of that on the internet so that there will be someone to uh, on the other side of it, and they want to have their own people on the other side of it, and that way they can keep control of it, and it won't go to the level where they will start all of a sudden start attracting people in a way that they would want to have happen. This is pretty simple, but it's hard for some people to keep it straight. They'll just keep saying, well, he's saying such good things about World War II and she's telling the truth all the time. How can you say that he would be uh, working for the other side? Well, I don't know that he is. I could be very wrong. I'm just saying he's one of those people that don't doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me and still doesn't and he's still at it you know and where is he getting with it nowhere he's not getting anywhere why does he do it i think uh why doesn't he answer answer that question <laughs> uh, i would like to hear him answer that question bringing up rodney martin now i've talked i've done enough about rodney martin and i'm not going to say much here however again 
it's putting him together with these other people. Now, here's someone, Ronnie Martin, who cannot succeed in anything. So you would wonder why anybody would put him forth as a potential leader. If he's an agent or he's implanted in the movement by an enemy force, why would they pick him? He just fails at everything. Well, I I have an answer for that. I think that makes sense, that he embodies embodies that the issues and political positions he's involved with are for losers because he's a loser. And everything he, I don't know, I think he's tried to make a success of his organization. He just has failed to do so. And he's picked the wrong people and they, they walk away from him. But there might be um, other reasons it might be all planned that way, for all I know. Because uh, Ronnie Martin goes into all fields. You know, he's a white white supremacist and he's um, he's a 9-11 truther and he's a He's a Hitler revisionist. He's pro-Hitler, and he's just—he's supposedly an expert on the Third Reich, which he isn't. But you know, he goes into every area of uh, the truther movement. He can't stay away from anything, and so he kind of messes up. He can't cover it all, but he—he he jumps from one thing to a, to the other at different times. So what then do these people all have in common? They are sloppy. They are various degrees of stupid. And they're dishonest or sneaky. Uh, They make a lot of mistakes, but if they just look kind of dumb, that is even good for for their handlers, if you could call it that, because it keeps the really intelligent, capable people looking elsewhere. If you're really intelligent and capable, you're going to think that this movement is not any place you want to be for very long unless you find a really high-level area of it. But you're not going to want to be involved with something that Rodney Martin is doing or really something that John Friend is doing. Because what is he doing? What is he doing? I don't know if he's working at his career. If he were working at a career while he was doing this, I would say, well, that would explain something. He's trying to get somewhere. But does it make any sense to have his blog and be in trouble with the Jews all the time uh, if he's trying to work on a career for himself? No, it doesn't. Now, who else supports Rodney Martin? Well, gosh, that brings up Deanna Spingola's name. She's the main one looking after Rodney Martin. I cannot believe that Deanna Spingola is an agent of any kind, but at the same time, she's still doing shows at RBN, and I think RBN is a completely compromised operation. And she's also sponsored by AFP, which I've just been talking about. I think there's I, I don't have a lot of faith in AFP. I just don't know quite what to say about that because, uh, it, I, you know, it's not like it's cut and dried or all that clear. I don't think anything uh, badly about Willis Carto, but then what the heck? I could be surprised sometime, but uh, I don't. I don't think so. But he's not. He's not hands on at AFP either. He just sort of owns the whole operation. I don't know how much attention he pays to it. But anyway, Deanna also continues to stand by Veronica Clark, no matter how much she is informed about her bizarre life and her promotion of lies about the Third Reich. It doesn't matter to Deanna. Uh, she goes right back, and she'll say, yeah, yeah, and she'll act like she's uh, she cares about it, and she's concerned, and then the next, the next thing you know, she's right back having her on a program, and they're just laughing and buddy-buddy about everything, and she's promoting her books. 
So Deanna also is madly in love with, or I mean that in tongue-in-cheek, you know, but crazy about Wayne Pronta. She thinks he's the most wonderful person. I'm going to talk about Wayne Pronta. Deanna is a person, and she seems to like to have her radio shows, and she needs guests for her radio shows. She needs these guests to keep up her reputation as a Hitler truth teller. But I think that somebody else could probably do a better job of what she's doing than she does. So she doesn't need to be doing it. But she wants to do it, and she's become like a household name. And I would say of her that, like the others that she keeps company with, she's keeping people at a certain low level. And that's why she is valuable, and she can do this particular kind of uh, of work and it not be damaging. It, it doesn't go beyond the point where people would uh, find out too much or learn too much or get too involved in it. It's all. It all seems to be about keeping things at a controlled level where it's easily handleable. So now we can go to Wayne Pronta, who is the creator of Justice for Germans. Um, he also got extremely popular right away with his website, but he only used his first name at that time, Wayne from Canada. I noticed strange things about him right away. Well... So much that he didn't really know, and I wondered about him. I didn't quite trust him at all because of the way he talked about his experiences and so on. And I think this was especially when he was on the radio with Deanna because he was Deanna's guest quite a few times. And it just never, I was just not someone I ever wanted to to uh, have on my show. And, I, and there was something about that website, Justice for Germans, that that bothered me, even though uh, I knew it was it had gotten so very popular. I don't know why it took off so fast, because it only went up in October 2012. Um, I would have to do more more research to see if I saw something that these people were somebody was you know overseeing all of this, because all I I don't know about that at all. But I do know that Wayne Pronta doesn't speak German, but he passed himself off as being someone so connected to Germany through his parents, because his parents were born there. And you got the idea that uh, he came from this super German family, and they all spoke German and whatever. But I've learned a little bit a different version of that now, which I'll get to. But, you know, has anybody ever heard him speak any German? No, he doesn't. What he's done is uh, he's gotten English translations of things in German and read them on the uh, on his uh, videos that he that he's produced. And I thought that he was he was reading. He read from the German original and he translated it himself. He said that a few times he translated it and then he read the in English and then he read that. But I think if that was if that was translated, that somebody translated it for him, that he didn't do it unless he did it on some kind of special translating program. Because he obviously doesn't know German and doesn't read German and doesn't even pronounce a lot of German words right unless he's on the soundtrack of one of these videos. But here's here's the thing that I've learned about him just in the last couple of days. Uh, I read about this new legal organization that was being formed by him, and I thought maybe I should think differently of him 
and uh, and I should join that because it sounded like, sounded like a very good idea. It was it was uh, him and some other people from British Columbia, it turned out, who, who had joined up with him in this. And they then I was the other day I saw that there was a video with Wayne and Brian Brewer on uh, on their special new site for this what they call um, Truth and Justice for German Society. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? And I thought that was uh, I thought well, you know, Carolyn, you should you should go ahead and join that, send in your donation and support that. So uh, when I saw the video there, I I watched it. And the video came out on May 10th, 2015, so that was, um, you know, a few days ago. And uh, I just watched it, I think, last night, and I found prompted to be a very slow speaker, which I already knew from the radio shows, and, and rather ponderous, though, on the uh, on the video. He, he knew what he wanted to say, but he was, and he didn't want Brian to interrupt. In fact, Brian never really got to say anything. He just tried to make a few noises. Now and then, and Brian is not much of a speaker either, but he's a nice enough guy. So at the six-minute mark, Wayne Pronta said, I was basically just a one-man operation for several years. It was a lot of work. Did a number of documentaries, created dozens of graphics and memes. There's been many revisionist historians going almost back to the 50s. I've been, uh, I've been something, I think it's something like looking into Austin App recently, it does go back a long ways. Uh, so he's saying that um, he was just on his own, um, and he's just recently discovered Austin App. But here, then he then he comes out with it at eight minutes. <clears throat> he said, uh, knew many other brilliant revisionists who are out there, but he doesn't say who. I'm asking whom, you know, who were they? But he doesn't say. He's met other br- brilliant revisionists. Then he says, and it was not only books, but now I was a big fan of Deanna Spingola radio show on RBN. And she had many great people on there, including Veronica Clark, Rodney Martin, um, um, and he can't think, he says Michael Walsh, um, 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 quite a few others over the years. Too many to mention. <laughs> Too many to mention. He can't remember who they are. Well, that's, that's okay. you think he'd be a little better prepared since they were planning on this video, but he mentioned, well, I thought it was surprising and amazing that he learned, he says, right, you know, he was just on his own, but then he became a big fan of Deanna Spingola's radio show to learn about German revisionist history, and he learned it from Veronica Clark and Rodney Martin, and somewhat from Michael Walsh, so what What did he know, you know, Head of that, I thought he was supposed to be kind of an expert, but obviously he's very new to this. And he said uh, that the people on uh, Deanna Spingola's radio show who were coming out with a lot of fantastic information that really, um, how shall I say, um, oh, contradicted the official versions of this history of World War II and of National Socialism that we've all been programmed with, Note he's including himself as being programmed. He was also programmed and programmed throughout our lives, he says. So his his parents obviously didn't teach him so much differently because he was programmed like everybody else, he says, about this false version of National Socialism in World War II history. 
And at that time that he says that, his eyes are darting around. And I've noticed on a number of occasions in this video, his eyes dart quickly to the left or to the right, um, usually to the right, I think it is, and then come back again. And he says, so those things were the inspiration, things that I began to share, and I uh, said something, whatever, Miss couldn't make out that word, came into contact with some other people, such as uh, Wilfred Heink, who uh, wrote a lot of articles on a website called Kodo. He's also here in British Columbia, German, who uh, survived the war. And uh, another fellow by the name of, oh, and he also contributed to some books by Veronica Clark. He's speaking about Will Heink there. He goes back to him. And then says, and the other fellow, twice he calls him the the other fellow, who was, um, and here he looks suddenly to the right, and then says Hans Krampa, and spells out the last name K-R-A-M-P-E, who also lived here in British Columbia. I also managed, I managed to get in touch with him as well, and so it's been kind of a project that, in my mind from the get-go, this is what I wanted to do to have a legal society at some point in time to start a, you know, hoping that it would lead into kind of a worldwide movement. Hmm. Well, uh, he's not familiar with Kodo because he calls it a website called Kodo. And uh, he knows that Will Pike, uh wrote some wrote articles, revisionist articles, and he knows about Hans Grumpel. Well, he would have found out about these people from Deanna Spangola, for sure. That's, that's where that information came from. He didn't know anything about any of this, but he learned, he got in touch with them from Deanna Spangola. Deanna Spangola learned about them from my radio shows and them being my guests. And then she, uh, when they weren't my guests for a while, she got them to be a guest on her show. Then she knew they were both in British Columbia, but they didn't weren't they didn't associate with one another. But in any case, uh, she got them together. Wayne continues saying, "Fortunately, Hans had been out there for a number of years on his own, fighting this war by writing letters to editors of newspapers, and he goes on to praise Hans Krampa as though he was the greatest person he had ever run into, and he had the greatest style of writing." Then says, "We lost Hans." in November 2014, but we need to carry on. So I guess he was must have been depending on Hans to do quite a bit for this organization that he's now starting with these other guys. So he's carrying on without him. It's strange that he, uh, he couldn't get his name right, and the fact that he uh, spelled out his name reminds me that when, uh, when Hans Krapa died and Deanna and this Wayne and a couple other people did a radio program in memoriam a few days later. And Wayne was supposed to be talking about Hans as a, you know, how close, how bad he felt, how close, closely he felt to him or whatever. And he said his name wrong he, twice in a row. He pronounced his name Kampa and not Krampa without the R. And so, and, and I wrote a letter where that show was was uh, posted and played, and I wrote a letter to the editor kind of thing, and I mentioned that, uh, I said that, that I didn't think he knew him hardly at all. And he must, I'm sure he read that because he was reading all that stuff. And 
So it probably affected him. He probably uh, was embarrassed by that, and now he was making sure that he got the name right. But, you, you know, if he knows German, why would that be so difficult? If, if Now, here's I'm going to go on now to explain some of this. Okay, so then Wayne says that he resumed his blogging activity in October 2014. And at that time, I became aware, oh, he became aware of some scandal about a minor hockey coach who was fired from his job. And uh, that's when he made contact with Brian Rua and his friend Greg. I don't have Greg's last name, but they're the two guys who are involved with him in this now. And they obviously uh, make videos, so that's where the video making is coming in. And so he met them, and he says, it was inspiring to me to find a group of people right here in my backyard, close by, here in my hometown, where I was actually born and where I grew up. So these people all live close together, and he's finding a whole a whole lot of people in uh, British Columbia who are agreeable with him. And then he gives some information about his history. And this tells us a lot because he says that his parents left Germany in 1951 and 52. Because Brian is asking him these questions. And because they came uh, one year apart. And at some point he said everyone was talking about the new world order, the new Hitlers, Nazis, false flag, meaning the Reichstag fire and the Blywitz. Those are the two things that he that he mentions. And he thought uh, he needed to look into this and find out for himself what that what was really true or not. I didn't really know the history of it, he says. Wayne says, I didn't really know the history of it. So then I say, well, when did he learn the history of it? You know, when was this time? Because his parents came, left Germany in 51 and 52. But I read later that he was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, so it had to be a whole lot later that everyone was talking about the New World Order. So there's nothing in between that time. There's no interest in Germany or anything like that that he mentions, even though he's, this whole video is about his Justice for Germans uh, new project. So he says, I didn't really know the history of the Reichstag or the Glywitz affair. I'm saying, I'm saying it appears that he read some books or maybe he found just found everything out from Veronica Clark on Deanna Spingola's program. Maybe that's where he learned everything he, he knew to start out with. And I find that pretty amazing. So at 28 minutes into this, into this uh, video, he says, if you want to look up on YouTube, go to Veronica Clark's channel. She has talked about it, the Reichstag fire he's talking about. She has talked about it extensively in various interviews she has had with Deanna Spingola. And I think a couple of segments, something like that, she's done on her own where she goes through that. Mark Weber of the Institute for Historical Review has also written about it, as has Carolyn Yeager. And it's been totally debunked. So that's where he learns about what's true and what's not true about the Reichstag fire, by listening to people like Veronica Clark, Mark Weber, and me. Now he says, and and, and then it goes back to Glywitz, and he says to Brian, "Uh uh-huh, nothing happened, and it wasn't necessary for Hitler to declare war on Poland. They totally ignore all the atrocities that had been committed by the Poles against the German people, against the ethnic Germans. 
So I started moving away from the 9-11 truth movement, the so-called truth movement generally, and doing my own thing. Mm, That really spurred me to look into more stuff because I didn't have all the answers, not by a long shot. Well, I say he didn't have any answers. He didn't have any answers, but he's looking for He's looking for answers. So he says, but I started discovering, like through the Spingola show and so on, I started discovering about more people. I used to spend so much time on the IHR website. And Brian says, how many years have you been doing this? And Wayne answers, well, this has been going on since, I guess, about 2010. Wow, 2010 has been going on. Uh, that's it, when he first started to learn about these things. And I became aware of other people, too. I didn't have much of a budget, you know, pretty low income. Doing my own research, I came across all kinds of older free books that you can download off the internet, internet uh, archive and started reading. So he was downloading in- books from the internet and uh, reading them from 2010 on or maybe a little bit later than that. And then he said he was for many years involved in 9-11 Truth, doing radio interviews, etc., using his real name. And now, he says, he's just started using it again with Justice for Germans. He explains how he didn't want to use his last name for a while because, uh, you know, so much uh, hassle or something. And I always think it's about his family, but he doesn't actually say whether he has a family or not. He says there's family matters. Well, that could be uh, his other sisters and brothers and stuff. I don't know what he has. Not that he has to tell people. So then I decided to Google him, which I had never done, because he said he had this history with 9-11 Truth. Well, it's very interesting. At first I saw that he was on the Corbett Report as Wayne Pronta, the activist behind the WarCriminalsOut.com and the Coalition of the Willing and Operation Vigilant Citizen, all of which are geared toward motivating the Canadian government to arrest and try ex-U.S. President George W. Bush during his upcoming visit to Calgary. This is in 2009. So he was very active in this uh, let's arrest George Bush movement. And uh, it says that his previous work was with Vancouver 9-11 Truth and his current work is in organizing actions through Fraser Valley 9-11 Truth. All right, so then I found something on another page which gave his, uh, like a biography for him. And it goes back further. The most useful part that I'm going to read here is that Wayne was born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia. So he wasn't born in Germany. Um, He was born in British Columbia. It says that he spent 10 years in Europe doesn't say where or when or anything. And he, he holds an associate degree in criminology and a certificate in criminal justice law enforcement. An associate's degree. So he doesn't have a, a real degree, a bachelor's degree or anything. Um, he's not that well educated. He's got a certificate and an associate's degree. And he has worked with within the criminal justice system in Canada. That can mean anything as well as in private security and investigations. So he might have been a private investigator uh, and, uh, you know, or private, work for private clients. 
and Wayne was a previous candidate for the Canadian Action Party in the 2005 federal election, a candidate for the Canadian Action Party in the 2005 federal election, and is presently very active in the Vancouver 9-11 Truth Society, of which he is a founding member and is now devoting most of his time to 9-11 issues. Well, you know, from the looks of him, it's hard to say, but he might be, um, I, I would say he's in his 60s. That's what I'd say. He could be retired, but I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's retired from anything in particular because it sounds like he was kind of a, a freelance person. And and already in uh, in 2002, he got involved in 9-11 stuff. So that was uh, uh, 13 years ago that he's been mainly doing that. Because it says in November 2006, he was asked to study the feasibility of hosting a 9-11 Truth Conference in Vancouver and subsequently nominated to be the 9-11 Truth Conference planner and coordinator. This has since become a virtual full-time volunteer position. He has been investigating, investigating the official narrative, and it goes on and on, you know, uh, what, you know, he doesn't believe in the official story and so on. Well, this is also uh, dated, really old, the 9-11 stuff. It's too bad it hasn't gotten, it hasn't succeeded, the 9-11 truth movement. It's really amazing that it hasn't succeeded. That's another thing that should be looked at. Why, with all the efforts that went into that and all the people involved in it, that they could not bring that into any kind of a court investigation or real investigation. Uh, and that goes to show that, that the power that, these Jews have in our country and other countries, but let's just, we're sticking with America tonight, the United States, basically, that they couldn't succeed at any of this. Oh, that the power that the Jews have is they're able to put a lid on everything, to just shut it off. It goes only so far. And the people will not, even if they know that that it's being suppressed and that the truth is something they don't want anybody to know, they will not do anything about it. They'll just let it go because, you know what, it would cause them too much trouble and expense and maybe uh, problems, uh, you know, legal problems or and at least uh, discomfort and so on to really try to do anything about it. And people say, well, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty comfortable. Why rock the boat? I'm not going to be able to change anything. It's too bad. It's like this, but and uh, you just want to keep living your life or, you know, raising your children or paying your bills for your children and trying to hope that things get better somewhere along the line or somebody will do something. And when you have these websites and these so-called leaders, like he was in Canada, doing things, and you think, now, this, these people are working at it, they'll do it, and maybe you'll send them a few dollars. But uh, And that satisfies them. And th- then the Jews, or the people in control there, are happy with that because that keeps everybody quiet, you know. And they, they see that they think, they have hope that somebody's going to accomplish something. And so as long as they see this stuff going on, and this is the kind of stuff that might be led by the people that they have put in place. Don't I'm not saying that it is, but it might be. has to be. A lot of people were put in place in the United States. 9-11 truth movement, and uh, everyone denies that they're one of them, but uh, we know that there had to be a number of them. A number of them have to be compromised like that. 
nobody will say who because it's hard to get the the proof of it the way they the way they go about things. So what about Wayne? Well, I don't know what I can say that Wayne is not a good speaker. Maybe he's just not comfortable speaking about uh, Germany, but the German issues, but I don't think so. He could have never been a good speaker, and yet he was a leader in all of this 9-11 stuff in Canada, in British Columbia. And so he should have gotten plenty of experience, but he still isn't. He's uh, kind of ponderous, and he's slow, and he has a lot of pauses. And he doesn't appear to me to be real intelligent. And the fact that he didn't get that good of an education and get that far with it kind of goes along with that. So I don't think he should even be the head of such an organization as as he's starting. But he is. And he's got these two guys. Well, what I saw of Brian was not very impressive. So if these people, you know, I changed my mind about joining their organization because I don't think it, I think it must be, I don't think it's going to get anywhere, and maybe it's not meant to get anywhere. It's just another waste of time, and another thing where people are going to send in donations, and that may be the way that Wayne has managed to get by for all this time, because he's gotten donations because of his 9-11 work, and I don't think he's ever, or he's done, he's done documentaries, and he made it sound like he did a lot of a number of documentaries, so he must have done some that had to do with 9-11, too. They weren't all about Germany. And now he's he's moved from 9-11 to Truth for Germans as and presented himself as some kind of real German, which he's not. I mean, he is as much as, as I am. His parents were German. His parents were born there. So, yeah, you know, he's uh, he is. but And he may have traveled there. He may have spent some time there. He said he spent... 10 years in Europe, I don't know. So I'm not saying that he he, has, uh, he doesn't have any connection. He certainly does. But it, it's not something that took over his life until just very recently. It's kind of interesting that that for someone like him, he just started this, this website, what did I say, in 2000, the end of 2012. And that's when he first got into this. Because he had been listening to Deanna Spingola's radio shows. And he thought, well, he made a connection. Man, this is this is something for me. And he obviously wrote to her and emailed her long before uh, now. You know, long uh, he, he as soon as he heard her guests talking about things like that, he he was interested. He probably emailed her, and they probably had some communication going back and forth. And let me tell you that on Wayne's Justice for Germans blog, uh, he's. He started in uh, the end of October uh, 2012. And the second post that he posted, the second one was posted, the first one and the second one were both posted on October 28th. The second one was titled RBN Interview, Rodney Martin Discusses Alfred Rosenberg's Essay, Jewish World Politics from June of 1924. So he posted the radio program uh, of Deanna Spingola on his new blog, Justice for Germans. He said, excuse me, he was listening, he was impressed with those shows, he was impressed with Rodney Martin, and he posted that there, dated October 28th. And then the fourth blog of his brand new uh, website there was another radio interview with Deanna Spingola, and it was one that he was on. This was on October 30th, 2012. It, it was... Uh, 
they discussed uh, the film Hitler's War and what the historians neglect to mention. Says Deanna Spingola's guest blogger Wayne from Canada, a.k.a. Justice for Germans, in quotes, discusses the German film, which he translated and narrated into English. So it got it was translated and he narrated it in an English version. And it's based on, um, it's not uh, David Irving, it's based on that uh, book by the German, you know, the, uh, the War That Has Many Fathers, that book that we translated. We, we translate it that way, the war, the war that had many fathers, meaning World War II. It's kind of a semi-revisionist book. He discusses how he came across this underground German film. This means that he already knew Deanna when he started Justice for Germans blog. He had been com- communicating with her, uh, and then uh, she probably probably uh, met some other people, and then he had got the courage up to start the blog. And yet we're not told that really. We, you know, we're told like she discovered his blog and she discovered him, and and uh, oh, he's just doing this wonderful work and so on. Now this is not a huge thing, and I don't really know um, that he might not have a real good explanation for all of this, and certainly can. And it's not it's not nothing criminal going on here, but it's um, it turns turns me off because we're we're always be, kind of being given a led to believe things that aren't really the way they the way it is. And the problem is that most of the people leading these uh movements and doing radio shows and uh, seen as leaders and so on are not don't know that much. And they're not very smart either uh, necessarily. They're pretty average people. So having someone like the people I've been mentioning, um, front for the white and nationalist true believers to be not very smart, doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive? But as I've, I think I've already pointed this out, but once someone is established as a leader or a spokesman, then no matter how stupid they are or how badly they do, no one is brave enough to question or criticize them on their own. If if they if a group is doing it, they might join in, but they won't do it on their own. They won't start it themselves. And everyone is accepting these kind of uh, second-rate leaders or people. Then the level of acceptable discourse goes down a notch or two. You see, so if this person is acceptable as being a leader or a spokesperson or an expert or whatever, then um, that creates a dumbing down process that can continue to go on so that white people become less and less intelligent they expect less and less from their leaders they you know they're satisfied with less and this uh, then they're they're better at fitting into a multicultural racially mixed society Uh, that's the way it works if you can get these people to accept less and less and think that it's uh good or it's great even or you know the best there is or whatever Boy, you know, then uh, you're bringing them down to where you want them to be, and where where they will fit in with the with the people of lower intelligence. And without complaining, they'll be used to it. So now I want to invite people to call in if they want to. I didn't. I you know I kind of I made sort of a big deal out of uh, having callers because I wanted people to know that I was willing to hear from them 
and they're certainly welcome to call, and I'll answer, and I'll talk to them. I've got some more I can uh, go over, but my voice is, is not very strong tonight, So, um, but and I could go over the two-hour mark, too, tonight, so... Uh, I invite you to call in if you if you have anything to say about this. And the number is 323-642-1206 or 323-642-1206. Okay, I've got some more to say about Daily Stormer because I, I think that I am thinking, you know, I didn't used to think this. I didn't think it until recently. But some things that have happened lately have really caused me to put my... To, to be very, very skeptical of what's going on there. And I just, it's funny thing is that when you know people and you've talked to people, you take them just for, for what they are. And it could be that uh, he's just doing the best he can at the Daily Stormer and it's coming out so as badly as it is. Andre Anglin started out with total fascism and he's taken total fascism offline. He acts, kind of acts like he had to do it. But he didn't have to. It was a free WordPress site, as far as I know. I don't think it was costing him anything. He bought this his server for uh, the new Daily Stormer. So he's uh, he just doesn't want it to be there. He doesn't want it to be there. There's a lot of things that he put on there that he doesn't want people to be looking at anymore. And one of the things that he had on there was in the very beginning, he had uh, a, a little uh, listing on the on the sidebar comrades in arms and he had a number of names and the top three names were Deanna Spingola, Carolyn Yeager and Veronica Clark. As far as I know that was the order they were in. And then he had some men some, you know, male names down below that and I don't remember who they were. It's just, you know, what would you kind of expect to be there. Um there are only like six, seven or eight names, uh, that's all there was there. And he had these three women at the top because he learned so he learned everything. He's another one like Wayne. He didn't know anything, and he he uh, started listening to programs and reading things and uh, looking at sites, and, and then you know he figured it all out and he started repeating it all. So that's kind of interesting in this day when he says that women have nothing to offer and have and can't even think. And I do. Well, I forgot to put in my notes for this show that he recently said, and uh, I have it in some other another page of notes somewhere else too late to get it now. He did make comment flat out, no no exceptions, that women should not have any rights. Now, you know, of course what he says on there that it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't have any power to make anything happen, so it's not that one should worry about it, but it's like, you know, the kind of things he's saying is are they're so they're so far from being based on anything factual or scientific. And to say that women uh, should not have any rights at all is pretty crazy. And that, of course, means that uh, some whoever the man in the woman's life uh, is, that would be whether a father or a husband or a brother or an uncle or whatever the heck, you know, would have uh, all control uh, over this woman and what she could and couldn't do and so on. So um, he has said that. And then when he tries to say he never said that, that it's wrong, he did. Well, he started uh, his Daily Stormer on April 6, 2013. It's now two years old, a little over that. And in this time, he's gone from one failed idea 
after another. Now, I'm not trying to attack, it sounds like it, it's coming off in my ears here that I'm trying to attack these various men because I'm angry at them or whatever. And even and even Deanna Spangola and Veronica Clark, I'm just attacking people. But my point still is to question whether these people are real or whether they're fakes. You know, and uh, Andrew has gone from one failed idea after another, and he's gone through a number of associates and writers. Uh, he's uh, been through his Christian period, and he's been through his Christian identity period, and his no Christianity and no religion period, and his Putin worship period, and his Dugan Eurasianism period. And then he went through his uh, all women are, uh, well, he came up a little bit with his diet ideas. That didn't go over too big, but, you know. But after that, he went on this big push onto uh, white sluts are the problem and feminism which has created all these white sluts are the problem, and uh, that all white women are feminist sluts. And now he kind of denies that he said that, but he did say it. And I could come up with lots of examples of him saying it. But now I think he's felt that he's gotten too much disagreement with that, and he's trying to cover with going over real big with this paleo diet as if uh, Western civilization depends on your eating red meat, eggs, and a few green vegetables. <clears throat> and uh, I do believe in that diet myself. I have been following uh, that diet. I call it, I don't call it a paleo diet, but I have been following that for a few years, and I was basically following it for many, many years before that, but I got more strict with it. And uh, I do think it's the right diet, but nothing is perfect for anybody. And if some people want to eat different diets, they can. And certainly when you're young, you can handle an awful lot of things that you don't handle as well as you get older. But anyway, in in this uh, as this uh, diet thing starts now, he wrote this, which I think is kind of revealing and also hilarious. It starts day one. We're on the diet now. Everybody wants to be on it. And he, uh, under a picture of cavemen, sort of cave-looking men, hunting some big, huge, you know, elephant-type animals, you know, a drawing, a painting. He writes, we are men. We should as men eat. (laughs) He's very serious about that. We should as men eat. I, Andrew Anglin, publisher of the neo-Nazi and anti-feminist main base, am challenging thee to to change your diet for one month and see how this changes the way you look, feel, and train. Well, that kind of over-seriousness and uh, manner of speaking in an old style, you know, using the and so on, is something he's done all along, now and then, when he gets real serious about things. And I just want to make some points here about men and women and point out that women are the stronger sex, not physically, you know, muscle-wise, but as far as uh, women live the longest. And nature made women more resilient. Well, because women had the job of bearing children, had the role of bearing children, and also nursing their children and raising them. So nature considers we can put God in the name of, in, in the place of nature if you, if you want to, you see. Nature, God, considers new life 
being brought into the world and surviving to reproduce more new life on its own to be the most important value. That's the most important thing in nature, to continue reproducing the race. And that's essential. And men are made strong and action-oriented in order to serve and provide for women and children, not to be served by them. Women live longer because they're made hardier, because they are more important. Just think, you only need a few men to keep a whole slew of women pregnant. That's a, they, they turned that around and said you only need a few women to serve a whole bunch of men, but you know what? Um, that's not the point with nature. Nature is uh, how are you going to reproduce your race, and they're not, Andrew's now saying that's not so important. Well, nature doesn't think so, and we'll soon find out what the result of our not reproducing our race is going to be because it's more important that men bond together and get strong and fight off. How are men getting strong uh, going to fight off uh, the enemy that we have today? It's certainly not wild elephants in the in the wild, you know, wild ele- elephants in the jungle. Uh, that's not that's not the enemy. It's it's brains that it takes, and we've lost out. Uh, I think we have lost out on the brains in the brains battle. We certainly have brains, but our brains have been set aside by these values that we have, which you can call Christian values, but it really isn't the fault of Christianity. It's the fault of the Jews interpreting what Christianity is and the Jews interpreting everything that is uh, is of value and been been believed in in white society interpreting it to their own benefit. And somehow, I don't know how, I don't understand how we let them do it. I don't understand why we couldn't see through it, why why we never did, why we gave away so much. And this giving away has been going on for a long time, but then we would take it back and then uh, it would start again. But that that's, what I think, where it has to be looked at, where we have to look at it. That's That's the crucial part right there. Why have we done this and how can we stop? We have to stop and we have to stop fast. And without that, none of this other is going to make any difference. And so it seems to me that Andrew's big brainchild here, was it a brainchild or was it something that he was given to do once he got real popular and so on and everybody wanted to go to his website and read what was on there every day? Now he was going into this as he says, um, anti-feminist mode and uh, pro-male, this idea of men bonding together, as he seems to think that they did back in ancient times, which we have to return to, which is pretty ridiculous, is is what kept us strong or something. And it's women who have uh, brought us to this point where we're caving into the Jews and so on. It's women who've done it. Not men. Well, that doesn't that doesn't hold any water. Um, there's another thing I wanted to say: why women are can be thought of as superior. Uh, the woman, there's, there's the the woman is physically stronger because the woman is the most important element because she bears the children, and that's nature's priority. That's the priority, and she's necessary for that, and that's why everything goes to to look after her and and her children. That's that's the whole purpose. And so they also grow up and follow the same lead, and the race continues to to reproduce, and that's what nature is all about. 
But women are also ahead of men in the thinking department in many ways, in the intelligence department, because men, as as Andrew keeps pointing out, men depend on following a logical process. And, oh, the only way to think is to think logically. Somebody's listening. I'm going to go ahead and bring them on, see if they want to talk. Hi there, listener. Hello. Yeah, hi. hi. Oh, who is this? I, I can I recognize your voice, but I can't think of it. Oh, I'm Nick. I called in at the end of the um, series you did with Ray recently. Oh, okay, Nick. Hi. The table talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to say I think uh, you raise interesting questions. I think it's always important to reflect on uh, these people who are doing this work. Um, but I also think maybe on the other hand, there's always going to be sort of a mixed bag. Um, people have different litmus tests that they can apply. Um, and then on a positive note, um, there's this story about this football player in Canada who is in trouble because he sent out a Facebook message about the Holocaust being a hoax. Mm-hmm. I read about and, that. And I, I, ju- I just think, you know, that just reaffirms for me how widespread this information is becoming. And if he knows about the Holocaust, then I'm sure he knows about um, 9-11. And I just think there's a real spread of this information that, you know, we don't necessarily see. But um, we're getting closer and closer to the time when leaders will emerge and there's going to be public support for for truth on all these fronts. So uh, that's just my take, and I I think we can sort of uh, hold out hope that things will get better. Well, Nick, I I think that you are are representing what probably a majority of listeners uh, would would be thinking. And, um, yes, I think I I know that that's the way people look at it. Let me just point out Mm. to you on the other side, Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, that the fact that people are are waking up to this information doesn't mean that anything can be done about it. That the laws are going to change, or that the that the whole thing is going to blow wide open, and uh, yeah. it doesn't mean that because they can keep things in they can keep everything going the way it is in spite of what people know. As I already pointed out, a lot of people do know. But they're not going to do anything about it if it means that they would have to uh, lose in some way, uh, lose what they have in some way. And so uh, I've got another caller here. I guess this is – are you 315? I'm 315, yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to bring this other person on. Very Uh, good, and I'll I'll, I'll hang up. Well, you can stay on. No, stay on. Stay on, and we'll have a three-way here. Okay. Um, Because – and, and this also makes us feel good. We say, well, the, things are changing. They're waking up. People are waking up. It's all going to open up pretty soon, um, and it'll blow wide open. Uh, when does it ever happen that way? I, I don't. I don't. I think that the problems that we're having are coming on too fast uh, to put out hope in that way. On the line. Oh, okay. Who are you? Frederick. Oh, Frederick. Well, all right. Why don't you weigh in here? (laughs) Well, is is this going to be your last show? No. Well, this is uh, no. This is not my last show. This is my last live show. Thank goodness. 
But I thought since it was the last opportunity to do a live show, I should do it live. And then I should take callers, um, you know, since this be the last opportunity, as far as I'm, and I'm quite sure it's not going to change, that I will only be doing podcasts, pre-recorded podcasts from now on. So there won't be any callers or anything like this. So I thought I should take advantage of this last program on Blog Talk and and do it this way. Well, I'd I'd just like to say your analysis of the male-female dichotomy is excellent. And very few men really understand what it's all about. It's a complementary relationship. And when we see how things are developing in the artificial um, attempt to recreate life, then we know we're going wrong. We're going against the natural processes. And what you've said is, is fine. So um, I just want to say I agree with you on, on, on this. Well, I'm only bringing that uh, up a little bit because uh, uh, Andrew Anglin has, has gone on so strongly with it. And I, I really uh, don't want to turn the show into that, although I sort of have in a lot of ways. I have because it's an interesting topic. But I want to keep to the idea of whether uh, we are whether we are being influenced um uh, by uh, the enemy in our in the in the in the organizations that we think belong to us, and in the leadership that yeah, we yeah, think. Yeah, but my example, of course, is Gordon Duff on Veterans Today. And the other point is, when I started out about 20 years ago, I made it my uh, aim to also visit the enemy and see what's going on. This is the diplomatic approach. You go in there, but you do not yield on your basic principles and ideals. And soon you'll find that the enemy doesn't want to know you. They'll just want to terminate you. And and this is a very good approach, and I, this is how I found out uh, how of the people who you could trust, the ones who knew what it was, what this battle was all about. And ultimately... If, if you reduce this to a common denominator, um, what is our we're, purpose in life? Certainly, we're going into overtime, to... Frederick. Frederick, we're going into overtime. So uh, I just want to let the listeners know that the ones who are listening live won't hear the rest of the show, but it will be on the uh, it will be on the recording when it gets posted at uh, at both places at Blog Talk and at CarolynJager.net later on after. After we finish, so you just go right ahead and continue with what you were saying. Well, no, I'm getting to the stage where I've forgotten what I'm saying. Yeah, now you forgot. Well, I had to. I didn't want to just drop off without telling the listeners. But now, uh, you know, Nick is on the line, and what I'd like to to point out or well, I'll say, I'll say, good luck, Carolyn. Good luck. No, I want I want you to answer. Uh, Yes, go on. I want you to uh, answer the question that Nick has raised, that um, that there's hope because uh, more people like this football player in Canada and more people on Twitter and in comments and so on. Yeah, so this, the fight's just I'm begun. We've got the in internet. The Holocaust. This is where... Well, this... 
well, are disbelieving in the uh, in the Holocaust, and this means that it's all going to turn around in our favor. Do you I'm, think I'm just, a- uh, yeah, I've just finished reading Holocaust High Priest Warren Rutledge. You mm-hmm. know the one you interviewed. Mm-hmm. Excellent book, and you can see that. There is a termination that, um, in, in the Holocaust belief that it is beginning to consume itself. When the younger generation, when 17, 18-year-old students or even 15, 16-year-olds realize that uh, what they're being taught in school about Holocaust and that you cannot question any aspect of it, mm. then, um, you know, it's breaking down. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that might be. What do you What do you say, Nick? I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, these these isolated incidents they are spread. They're talked about. They're discussed. And when when people are when people are punished, as football player or when middle school or high school teachers dare to question it, um, this this makes waves. Um, I do some nine eleven activism and i am getting a positive response from police cars going by and um firemen for the first time the other day i had firemen giving me a thumbs up sign and this tells me that if i may interrupt this is excellent because we have to and and some people don't realize this they say oh there was the police we have to fight the police, or we have to fight oh, no. all these. We have to get yeah. into the bureaucracies. We have mm-hmm. to win over the people who are running mm-hmm. the countries, the, the essential services. They yep. know they do not like yep. to be pushed along and, right. and into this wrong direction of believing in nonsense like 9-11. Yep. Well, how, yep. how do you suggest that we get into these? Uh, how do you suggest that, Nick? You're saying yes. That we get into well, these bureaucracies and I, so on. I think it's happening because it may be torturously slow. We may wish that it happened years ago, but it is a it is a slow, steady spreading of the truth. They can't stop it. Uh, more and more people know. Um, if this football player knows about the Holocaust, then he surely knows about 9-11, and he probably knows about the banking and the media issue, and he is representative of a large number of similar people who are not your typical book readers and um, whatever, if I can stereotype uh, professional football players. Um, and I just think that this is, is out there. They can't put it back in the bottle. And if everyone can just do a little bit more, even if even if we have these Alex Jones people out here, people will follow them for a while, and then they will realize that they're not telling them the whole truth, and they will be exposed, as Jones has been, and we will continue to advance. And I think we, you know, we shouldn't despair. I think uh, things will turn out well if we just keep working at it. Uh, well, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't. But well, oh, I know what I was going to say. Well, what about the uh, immigration issue, though? I was going to. I somehow failed to call this an anti-immigration movement. I, I had that. I don't know what happened to that word. I think I lost track of it. 
But a lot of this is we're fighting off this immigration into our countries. How can you know? How can that be stopped? This the Holocaust truth is 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 a wonderful thing and very important for me, but it's not going to stop that necessarily, and not over let's be over a long, long period of time. But um, that's that's what's really uh, coming along, and that's what that's what the countdown is for us is losing control of our own homeland, right? Yep, yep. Well, I have another little anecdote. Um, I was out, and I had a an immigrant who stopped and saw a sign and was upset, and he was outraged about this illegal immigration. And he said he had spent 11 or 12 years to legally come into this country, and he was curious at what was going on. I think whether it's the economy or the immigration or 9-11 or vaccines and GMO foods or the education, um, I know in New York State there's been a massive number of parents who are opting out of these mandated tests, and the school districts are starting to panic. I just think on so many issues, the public is realizing that the government really isn't interested in them at all. And so people are going to coalesce. Um, information is going to be shared. If someone's interested in one issue, they're going to learn about another, and the dominoes are going to fall faster and faster. Okay. So you just see a lot of hope, and you uh, – not a lot of hope, but you don't – you can't – you cannot imagine that the this disaster could actually take place in this world. You think that's impossible. I think, in a sense, most people do. And that might be why it continues, because people can't can't take it seriously that it would actually happen to uh, white people, that they would become somewhat eventually kind of extinct because they, we would lose power in our countries and, and we would be uh, discriminated against. You think Some people think that the... the, the uh, Brown people or the non-white people, when they see that we might be gone, they will change their mind and want to save us. But it might be too late to save the best of us by then. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I can see a very dire uh, situation, and I don't think it is. Um, it's the. I, I can't see that it's the right thing to do to put out these positive vibes. Although you could be right. I mean, you very much well, I, could be right. I just, I just think it's very important for people to keep working, to keep fighting. Uh, it's, um, you know, I. Would I, you think that we're all fighting for the same? You know, uh, what are we fighting for? I think that if, if you take the white race, I, I hate to, I have to be, do it that way. I don't know how else to, uh, how how else to discuss this. Okay, if you take European people, and European people in wherever they live. And if, if we all got on the same cause, we all got got on the same wavelength, if we're all fighting for the same thing, I think we could be very, very effective. But the problem is we're not, and that might be uh, the way that it, one of the ways that it's done to distract and confuse by making people at odds because of, of different approaches. And I might be guilty of that, Nick, well, because I'm sure. You know, it may have to get worse before it gets better, and it probably will. Um, and as it does, more and more people will wake up. 
I'm speaking as a former bleeding heart liberal, I must confess. Mm. I was raised on all of that rubbish, and 9-11 opened my eyes to um, the truth, and it didn't well, take long. Well, to... you're probably not a racialist then, is that right? Nick, you're probably um, not a racialist. No, I, I would have to say that at this point I am. Okay, that's good. Um, uh, you know, I I I think that there are very clear um, differences in races that we have to we have to admit. Um, and uh, you know, America is such a complex situation at this point. I don't I don't know what happens, but I do think that. Um, once once someone wakes up to 9/11 or the Holocaust, then their whole perception changes, and they can see uh, lots of issues much more clearly. And I think that is happening and will continue to happen. And uh, well, you know, I was still a Democrat in 2004, Nick, when mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. I woke up to 9/11, yep. and yep. a number of other things at the same time, and it certainly started uh, moved me quite fast in a different direction. Yep. So you're right yep. about that. You're right about yep. that when people, and then I uh, I started uh, investigating the uh, Holocaust, which I never was a, attached to in any way, you know, right. being right. a German background. And I was real happy. I was thrilled to find out all these good things, and uh, I just kept reading and reading about it. And uh, so I, I moved over on that. And then I got more interested in, in German uh, revision, in German history and so on, than in the 9-11, because I knew a lot of people were working on 9-11 and not too many yep. on the other. And But the thing is, isn't it kind of, how do you explain that we, with all the people working on 9-11 uh, in the 9-11 truth movement and all the hard work that's been done and all the, and the absolute, <laughs> how, how it's impossible story that they tell, uh, right. And yet, it doesn't. And still, so many people accept that story without question. They do accept it. They won't. Well, I have people in my family. And then, how do you explain that it's still in place and we haven't been able to? I haven't. I can't say I've been really working hard at it at all. But we haven't been able to uh, turn that turn that around and and win that battle. It's, it's the nature of the big lie, the, and the people that perpetrate these big lies, they understand human nature. That is one thing they clearly understand and have practiced in manipulating. They know that. The bigger the lie, the easier it is to... Thank you for bringing that up because I think that is the answer to what I've been saying here, that why we can have the enemy come in and tell us things and and even become our leaders and invade our organizations and so and so on because they use that big lion and people are unable to stand up to it and and there's that but it was i think the television was really the the thing that did it i think the, mm-hmm. the ability to propagandize the entire nation and to tempt people and to draw them in with their entertainments and things um i think those are but the, i think the internet the internet has has really changed everything. The 9-11 story, you're right, it's clear as day, the facts are there, it's just a question of whether people are ready or not to face up to the truth, and more and more are. 
And these examples of people being punished for talking about it are only going to spread the truth further. I think your work on, on German history and the Holocaust has been excellent, and you don't need to spend any time on 9-11 because other people have done it already. And yeah. uh, I, I just think to despair, I feel it myself from time to time, but uh, sometimes I, I think about the Eastern Front and what those people went through, and I said, well, I can do a little bit more here. I can get up and get out the door and uh, and push a little bit harder, and I think... So do you go history, out by yourself, or do you go out with a group of people? Oh, both. Uh-huh. Both. Um, but I think there's lots of things people can do. I have some T-shirts. I have uh, T-shirts with uh, quotes on the back. Um, Henry Ford or Thomas Edison talking about the money system. And I've had people very excited to read those and want to talk about things. You can make a T-shirt and draw people to you. Um, I, I would advise not being too provocative. You want to you want to sort of feel them out before you you start talking. If it's too strong, you'll just push people away. You want you want to sort of bait your information at the right level so that people will take a nibble and you can start a discussion and find out where they're at and sort of give them a little bit more than they've got because a lot of people they've got a few dots but they might not have connected them and. Um, Everyone's worried about the economy. Everyone knows yes. the education system is a mess. Everyone's up, not a lot of people are worried about immigration and all these other issues. And we can help people to connect the dots and uh, take the country back, take the world back. Hey, you know, I'm really glad that you that you called in, Nick, because I was going to point this out, and you're a perfect example of it. That we don't have to just sit and listen to, uh, look at, look up to a few well-known names as our leaders and expect that they're going to do oh, something. But everybody mm-hmm. can get out there and do something, and that's what we need oh, to yeah. do. Everybody, because yep. not everybody's turned on to do it, but anybody who is needs to see that it's up to them more than it's up to somebody, you know, David Duke or whatever. And then, then we wouldn't have to worry about that so much, whether he's really doing anything for us or not. Uh, uh, because people should spend their use their money rather than send it to someone. I think they yep. should use it to yep. do something. Like you're talking about these T-shirts, you know, spend yep. some money on doing these things and then do it around in your neighborhood if you have the courage. A lot of people don't have the courage, and they would rather send some money to somebody else somewhere and, th- and then feel like, well, I did something because they don't want to well, go out and face real people. Before I forget, I will I will say that. I always feel better after I've gone out with a sign or with some literature. I always feel better because sitting at home, grinding my teeth, reading and listening to stuff, yes, I I think it's very important for people to archive material. I think we have to archive books and videos and all of this material. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if people actually go out, what they'll find out is there are a lot more people who know I have a lot of people who go by, see my signs, and they say they know about 9-11. And then I have a whole lot of other people who are inching forward in their cars trying to read the sign. And they're housewives and they're this is and that. 
and there's a lot of curiosity. And the people that scoff don't scoff for long. Um, because I have quotations that basically when they read them, they have to shut their mouths because they have no answer. And mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, going back to the protocols, it says in the protocols that the one thing that they fear is individual initiative. I think, I think people need to um, write that down and paste it on the wall so they see it. But people need to take some action. I think, you know, your radio shows are a wonderful resource for people to save and distribute and all the rest of it. But people do need to spread the information somehow. And uh, if they go out in public, and I, and I urge them not to be confrontational, um, but to get out in the public with a sign or some information, and they will find out that a lot of people know and support what they're saying or are curious. And they'll run into some idiots who don't know anything and don't want to, but, but uh, yes, individual initiative. We must, we must keep that in yeah, mind. Yeah, I was, I was looking for something here that, that uh, I had said that somebody had written, and that was that we, you know, we need we need something to really believe in and and i yep. think what you're saying is just great that uh, that's what it is that it take it when 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 enough people actually start taking some initiative on their own and not just waiting for others to do it then uh, then things might turn around and we might save ourselves if we're people who don't have uh, here it is who knows what my, whites might accomplish even today if they had something to believe in well, we need to believe in ourselves, I guess. I guess that might be the thing. We need to believe in ourselves, and we need to act on it, and then maybe we could get somewhere, because uh, otherwise uh, we're depending on someone else, and that never works out too well. Nope. Anyway, yeah. I have to run, Carolyn, but I okay, want to well, thank you. Okay, well, you're a real inspiration. Yeah, thanks for well, calling. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, and I, I hope you will do a, a live show once in a while in the future at some point. Well, but, I, uh, I won't have any not, way to do it. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. So uh, unless I go on somebody else's live show as a guest. Otherwise, right. I don't expect that that's going to happen. All right. Well, <laughs> But anyway, any so case. good thing you called in tonight, last chance. And right, I think my good. shows are better when they're not live anyway. Okay, bye, Nick. Thanks a lot. Good night, Carolyn. Bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I do hope that um, you got something out of tonight's show. Maybe I got bogged down in individual personalities, but I was just trying to connect up how some of these things work out. And you have to wonder whether, you know, I just, I just come from the position that a whole lot of this movement is already is co-opted. And we can't cross out. There's a lot of people that are questionable, I, I think. I hope you don't feel like I've offended too many people or went after people unfairly. And I just want to say now good night and thanks for listening to the Heretics Hour. And watch for the next Heretics Hour podcast. It will be coming up soon. So this is Carolyn Yeager on May 18, 2015. Good night.